There is an ancient and proven system that has been used many times before to control the masses. History teaches the demagogue how to manipulate weak-minded people. First, you must establish an enemy. Having an enemy is a powerful device to distract people from their own current troubles and look for someone else to blame. Second, you must tell simple stories with little regard for the truth so they understand that you, and only you, can solve their problems. Third, you must attack democratic institutions, the Congress, but particularly the press. You must make them also an enemy of the people, so your followers will turn against them for criticizing you. And fourth, you must create a cult of personality, where you live above the law and bring benefit to those who support you as a reward for their loyalty. You must root out all those who are not loyal and give power to family members and others who are willing to sacrifice their own honor in support of you. With these four things accomplished, the gullible will blindly follow, particularly those with deep grievances who are looking for a man to adore as their great leader. We have seen this happen before. We can't let it happen again. Vote. Yes. Please vote. Just vote. Pretty please? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest, and China Lake, California. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Out in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day of the week, five days a week on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for tuning in today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. And by the way, thank you for supporting any of the stations that you happen to be listening to today uh, to hear our show, hopefully five days a week. Um, Please consider supporting those stations. We're, of course, in Fun Drive again here at KPFK, but you will hear the entire show 
uh, whether you're listening on KPFK or any of our affiliates. But we do need your support, we being KPFK, but also whatever station you are listening on around the country, as they all, uh, pretty much all of them, rely on listener support to stay up and on the air and to keep going just as we do, just as we do here at uh, the broadcast. All right. As usual, in the uh, hopefully uh, soon ending era of Donald Trump, there is a lot of, you'll be shocked to learn, chaotic and disruptive news today. What? Who could have predicted it, Desi Doyen? <laughs> Shocker. COVID cases are back on the rise, surging once again in about 40 states all over the country, largely in GOP states where masking and social distancing has been decreasing as Donald Trump continues to set a terrible role model for the nation and is holding huge, large, uh, largely maskless rallies to exacerbate the crisis, which is going to get worse everywhere. As the weather cools down and as more activities will have to be held inside, if you're within the sound of my voice, please do not let your guard down no matter what no, no matter what the president of the United States and his pals in the media are telling you. This is getting worse. It is decidedly not getting better as cases are as high right now as they've been since the July peak and epidemiologists warn we are now heading towards a third peak at this point, which is likely to be worse than the first two. Also, some news out of the Republicans stolen and getting more stolen by the day U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, not good news there, as the court announced it would be taking up two new cases that uh, could result in lower court rulings being overturned regarding whether Donald Trump is allowed to continue stealing money from the military budget. For his wall on the Mexican border, which he is trying to do by a um, declaring a phony emergency, uh, that declaration, you'll recall, was just after Congress had voted against giving him the money that he demanded for that wall, uh, which a lower court found to be unlawful for him to do that. But the high court uh, is now taking it up. They also say they plan to hear a case on whether Trump's wait in Mexico asylum policy is uh, lawful, is constitutional. But with a currently stolen 5-3 to three GOP majority soon to become a 6-3 to three Republican majority on the Supreme Court, those announcements and the one on Friday that the court will hear a case on whether Trump is allowed to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census count, despite the fact that the Constitution mandates that all persons in the U.S. must be included, and despite the fact that such a manipulation of the census would result in political power and federal resources being shifted from Democratic-leaning jurisdictions, urban areas and so forth, to white Republican rural areas by specific design— but uh, with the court now packed by Republicans, none of this is likely to be good news unless Democrats can win back both the White House and a majority in the U.S. Senate so that you and I and hopefully everyone else in this country can force those Democrats to unpack the courts by expanding them if they have the courage to do so. As we have been arguing on this show for many weeks now, the ultimate solutions to all of these issues that we're facing 
Well, uh, the only thing that we can do truly about any of them is to vote and to vote like never before in the election, which we are now smack dab in the middle of. I hear people talking about, oh, the election is coming up on November 3rd. No, the the election is going on right now. With a record of more than 25 million Americans already having cast their ballots in the 2020 election. But even that, the most critical election in our nation's history, coming smack dab in the middle of a worsening pandemic, uh, even that is being made more difficult by the Trump campaign and the Republican Party, which are challenging virtually every measure being put in place across the country to try and make voting easier and crucially, more safe for Americans. We have been covering a lot of these legal cases day after day after day on this program for many weeks now. Last Friday, in case you missed the broadcast then, and if you did, shame on you, uh, we were joined by University of Kentucky election law uh, professor Josh Douglas discussing this troubling pattern we have seen for weeks now where lower federal courts will hear cases, election law cases, They will decide in favor of voting rights advocates almost damn near consistently in every case, only then to be overturned by appellate courts or by the Supreme Court itself. On dubious bases that uh, state legislatures should be the ones allowed to make any election laws they want, no matter how many voters may be disenfranchised by those laws or put in danger of catching the deadly coronavirus in the process. Begging the question, as we discussed with uh, Professor Douglas on Friday, what the hell are the courts for? If not to make sure that laws adopted by lawmakers uh, are actually constitutional. Or, in many cases, such as the federal court uh, ruling that we reported on last week in Georgia, where the, the judge, the lower court judge, found the state's new touchscreen voting systems ones that are not unlike the ones that folks here in Los Angeles County are now forced to use at the polls, by the way. She found those new systems in Georgia Georgia to be insecure and unverifiable, but the judge declined to mandate hand-marked paper ballots as the plaintiffs had hoped at the polls because the Supreme Court has made clear that no changes should be made this close to any election no matter how many votes it might save, no matter how much it might help serve democracy, because, well, it's just too late to change an election procedure before the election because it might cause chaos at the polls or for election officials. Uh, Even if not making that change means that tens of thousands of voters might be unable to vote at all or may have to choose between losing their vote and risking their lives to participate in their own democracy. This is the so-called Purcell principle that the Supreme Court has pulled pretty much out of nowhere in recent years, saying, well, no matter what the laws are, we can't change them, we can't make any changes right before an election because it will cause chaos. Now, of course, they find exceptions to that, but in most cases they don't, which is bad news for voters. Even a number of state court now uh, courts now, uh, many of which uh, have also been packed by Republicans in recent years. Many of those state courts are also making it more difficult for voters to vote. This story came in too late uh, on Friday to run on that day's show. But as AP reported, absentee ballots must now arrive by Election Day in order to be counted in Michigan. 
That, according to the State Court of Appeals on Friday, blocking a 14-day extension that had been ordered by a lower court and had been embraced by key Democratic officials and voting rights advocates in the battleground state. The previous ruling by the lower court had determined that if ballots were postmarked by November 2nd, That's the day before Election Day, by the way. In Michigan, they had to be postmarked the day before Election Day. But if they were, they would be counted if the slowing of the U.S. Postal Service delivery uh, resulted in those ballots getting the county election officials up to two weeks after the election. They were cast before Election Day. They were postmarked the day before Election Day. They should be counted. That Common sense ruling, however, was overturned on Friday by the Michigan State Court of Appeals, which determined that any changes to election procedures must rest with the legislature, not the judiciary. That, according to the three Republican-appointed appeals court judges who decided the case in a sadly predictable 3-0 to zero ruling. Absentee ballot extensions in Wisconsin and in Indiana have also been overturned by higher courts. Michigan's ability to handle a flood of ballots will now be closely watched in a state that was said to have been narrowly won by Donald Trump in 2016 by just under 11,000 votes out of 5 million cast that year. Michigan's Democratic Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson last week said that 2.7 million people have now requested absentee ballots, a result of a change in the law that makes them available to any voter. The Court of Claims judge, that's the lower court judge, Cynthia Stevens, had ordered that any ballots postmarked by November 2 could be counted if they arrived within two weeks after Election Day saying there was, quote, unrefuted evidence, unquote, about mail delivery problems due to the coronavirus pandemic. She said that more than 6,400 ballots arrived too late to be counted in the state's August primary. 6,400 ballots were tossed in August in the primary election in a state where the last presidential general election was decided by 11,000 votes. And yet the GOP-packed appeals court above her said that the pandemic and any delivery woes, quote, are not attributable to the state. They said although those factors may complicate plaintiffs' voting process, they do not automatically amount to a loss of the right to vote absentee, the court said, noting that hundreds of special boxes have been set up across Michigan. Well, thankfully, the GOP and the Trump campaign have not yet been successful in removing those secure drop boxes in Michigan, at least not yet. So, hey, Michigan voters, please use them and use them soon. The state's uh, Senate Republican majority leader Mike Shirky tweeted, happy to see this unanimous ruling to uphold the integrity of our elections process and reject judicial overreach. Apparently, we are uh, upholding the integrity of our elections when we turn down votes, when we reject votes, when we throw out votes, perhaps thousands of votes that we know were cast before Election Day. That is how Republicans now see election integrity, apparently. All the appellate judges were appointed by the disgraced former governor, Republican Governor Rick Snyder in Michigan, 
Not long before all of the uh, statewide executive positions in the state for governor, attorney general, and secretary of state were all filled by Democrats, all filled by Democratic women in 2018 in response to uh, Rick Snyder's horrific uh, administration in the state. Nonetheless, Republicans remain in control of the gerrymandered state legislature. So that's where we are. That's how things are rolling in Michigan. And uh, that's how Republicans are working in state after state after state to make it as difficult and as dangerous as possible to vote during a pandemic. And it also underscores the importance of state legislatures and state offices to pay attention to who is running in your state legislature, because those people are the ones who make the laws that directly affect your life, like the district boundaries Mm -hmm. and the kind of gerrymandering that has made it possible for Michigan Republicans to control the state at the statehouse level, even though uh, that voters chose Democrats when allowed to on a statewide basis. Well said, Desi Doyen. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be looking at a uh, reapportionment in every state in the union. That is done by state legislatures this year, and that will affect everything for the next 10 years, which is why it is so disturbing that Donald Trump is also gaming, yes, the U.S. Census. But we are not powerless here. We are not, at least not yet, uh, fully subjugated to the whims of these extremist right-wing courts And politicians, we can fight back. We can, at least most of us can, vote and fight like hell to make sure that that vote gets counted as cast and that everyone else's vote is also counted as cast. I'll be joined by a guest momentarily who is organizing citizens like you, yes, like you, to help out in this fight on the ground before, during and after Election Day when citizen oversight is the one thing that can and must save this democracy. Oversight by the public, not by the courts or the legislature or the candidates or the elections official. Uh, Voting is great. Voting must happen. But voting is not enough. That's where we now are, and that is next on the broadcast. Oh, and if time allows, I'd like to open up the phone lines in a bit. If time allows, 818-985-5735 is our phone number, 818-985-KPFK. If you have any questions for me or my guest on voting procedures, concerns about how to cast your vote, I'd love to hear what your plan is to vote, and I hope you have made a plan if you haven't voted already. I'd love to hear what your plan is for voting this year safely. All of that is uh, ahead, straight ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Well, and 
hopefully an army of uh, citizen public overseers will be watching you as well as you vote, as you try to cast your vote, and as those votes are hopefully counted as cast. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In a, uh, in a normal election year, which this is decidedly not, I would advocate that the best way to maximize the odds of your vote being counted as cast is to vote in person on Election Day or as close to it as possible at the polling place on a hand-marked paper ballot. If you live in a jurisdiction where you're forced to vote on a touchscreen voting system at the polling place, like those of us shamefully here now in Los Angeles County, where our registrar has now implemented 100% unverifiable touchscreens at the polling place, or if you're in jurisdictions like Georgia, where the entire state, every voter at the polling place, uh, must do the same, use an unverifiable touchscreen voting system, or if you live in the state of South Carolina, where they make you do the same at the polling place, uh, they make you use unverifiable, hackable, easily manipulated touchscreens. Or even in Democratic-leaning jurisdictions like Philadelphia or Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, or parts of Ohio and Texas, both battleground states this year as well. Um, well, even during normal times, I would advise such voters to try and vote with a hand-marked paper absentee ballot if they are allowed to, if that's what you're forced to do, to use a touchscreen at the polling place, but then to deliver that ballot in person if allowed. Now, I'm normally no fan of mail-in voting, to be frank, but in the middle of a pandemic, that's another matter entirely. So if you are going to vote by mail um, or by mail-in ballot this year here in California, where every active registered voter is being sent one of them, I recommend you hand deliver it to an early voting location or to the polls on Election Day or to a county drop box that you know is a real one, not one of the fake ones that the California state GOP uh, has been putting up around the state. But more than ever, this year, planning how you are going to vote is very important, and helping others to do the same is just as important. So I would love to hear what your plans are or if you have already uh, uh, voted and encountered any problems this year. I will try to open the phones in a bit at 818-985-5735. Um, but I, first, I, I know that many Democrats are encouraged to see this huge turnout that we have been seeing so far during early voting around the country. As NPR reported over the weekend, early voting turnout continues to shatter records. Sky-high voter enthusiasm meets the realities of the United States' creaky machinery of democracy amid a pandemic. That means, they say, long lines in some places and administrative errors with some mail ballots. But a system that is working overall, according to the experts, according to NPR's experts anyway, former Deputy Postmaster General Ronald Stroman, who is now a senior fellow at the Democracy Fund, uh, said despite some of these concerns, things are going at this point reasonably well. He was talking about specifically about the expansion of voting by mail. More than 26 million people had voted as of Saturday, according to the uh, U.S. Elections Project, a national turnout tracking database that's run by the University of Florida. That is more than six times the number of votes that were cast by the same point in 2016. 
Democrats have cast about 53 percent of the early votes so far, according to the analysis by the data firm Target Smart. That's compared with 36 percent of Republicans. The early voters also tend to trend older, they report. Voters 50 years of age or older make up more than 70 percent of the votes cast so far, according to Target Smart. Hundreds of thousands more young people have voted at this point in October as compared to the 2016 election. That is good. But they still make up a lower a lower share of the overall total so far than they did back in 2016. Notably, African-Americans, however, are making up a larger share of early voters than they did in 2016. That's good news. More than six times as many African-American voters have voted early this year than had at the same point in the last presidential election. But as early voting uh, began in states like Georgia and Texas last week, long lines quickly formed at some polling places, uh, places with some voters waiting in line for many hours before they were able to cast a ballot. While enthusiastic turnout was, yes, one of the reasons, computer issues, as we have been reporting, have also played a big role in the delays. In Georgia, the Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger was finally forced to admit that the voter registration database computers that are used to check in people for early voting, that that was bogged down due to not enough bandwidth. He said, our voters have, I'm sorry, our vendors have been working on that along with our staff. He said that last week after days of hours long lines that he attributed to enthusiasm. Well, there was enthusiasm, but there was also failures of the new voting system that he put in place this year for the first time that resulted in outrageous 11 or 12 hour lines last week. Yeah, they had to beg their private vendors uh, to try and fix the problem somehow. These vendors who they have invested more than $100 million in taxpayer dollars to run the state's elections with these Rube Goldberg computer systems including unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. In Fort Bend, Texas, another, uh, another battleground this year, yes. Well, there was another check-in machine glitch, according to NPR, as they called it. A, a glitch. glitch. Really? Always a glitch. It's yep. always a glitch. Never a failure, which it's is a what failure. it actually is. Yes, it's not a glitch. It's not a hiccup. It's not a snag. It's not a snafu. It's a failure of these dumb electronic poll book computers that many jurisdictions now use instead of paper paper poll books. Like, yes, here in L.A. And during our primaries earlier this year, those electronic poll books failed in the same way because they use they don't have paper backups. Uh, so that shut down at least four precincts in Fort Bend County, Texas, last week for hours on the first days of early voting uh, beginning on Tuesday there. And today, according to the Orlando Sentinel, on the first day of voting in yet another key battleground state, that would be Florida, lines stretched for hours around the supervisor of election offices. Uh, in Orange County because of enthusiasm? Well, yeah, partly, but also because, as the Sentinel reports, early voting opened Monday in Florida to long lines at polling places and a glitch, Desi Doyen. It was a glitch again. <laughs> a glitch. 
that left Orange County's elections office website down for hours. Again, (laughs) not a glitch. That's a failure when it's day one of early voting. And yet the media often help election officials by minimizing these reports of failures by calling them glitches and hiccups. The election supervisor Bill Cowles was quick to dismiss any notion that his website had been breached or crashed. He said the website was not hacked. It didn't crash because of overload. They said that apparently the vendor, yes, again, the private unaccountable vendor, had sent an incorrect domain name to use when renewing the site. They used .net instead of .com. Really? Yep. You mean the swing state? of the United States that has determined presidential elections could have been messed up because of a wrong domain name? Yep. Really? Yep. Wow. The uh, failure resulted in a line of people and cars snaked around the building, many voters showing up in person because they no longer trust the mail to deliver their absentee ballots on time or at all. And, of course, when they went online and checked the website, it wasn't there at all. Nonetheless, as of Monday, more than two and a half million uh, mail-in ballots had already been returned to election officials in the Sunshine State, nearly totaling the 2.7 million mail-in ballots cast in total in, uh, back in 2016 in the election in Florida. They had a total of 2.7 million. Now they've got 2.5 million already in Florida. Early voting will continue until the weekend there before Election Day on November 3. But you might want to start lining up right now, Florida, or get that absentee ballot and deliver it in person. One Texas voter told Houston Public Media, quote, I I quite frankly think it's a form of voter suppression. She had waited in line for nearly four hours on uh, one of the counties to vote on one of the county's unverifiable computer voting systems in the uh, Democratic leaning jurisdiction of Houston. That is the largest in the state and the third largest voting jurisdiction in the nation in the state of Texas, which is now, yes, a battleground this year. There is no way, uh, she said, uh, the voter said, there's no way there should be a glitch on the first day of early voting. She says, no way. I've never seen anything like this ever. Well, a lot of people are seeing stuff we've never seen before. Election officials and experts have warned all summer that some in-person voting locations would probably be plagued by longer lines this fall. But whether it's voter enthusiasm or predictable problems with these voting systems, we cannot rely on either the courts, as I mentioned in the previous segment, or on the election officials to make sure that voters can vote and that votes get counted as cast. That is up to we, the people, to ensure. A few months ago on Twitter, there was a discussion about Colorado's voting system, which is actually one of the better ones in the country, despite using all mail-in elections there, which, as noted, I'm not a fan of other than during pandemics. So there was a discussion on Twitter about how the state um, does its post-election spot checks of hand-marked paper ballots to determine if their computer tabulators uh, tally the votes correctly. The state is one of uh, almost none in this country, frankly, that actually do any form of post-election so-called audits after, after the election is over. In Colorado, however, instead of randomly choosing races to audit, the state secretary of state chooses... Uh, on his or her own, uh, whatever they want, the Secretary of State chooses the races that are going to be examined by hands. 
And someone asked in this conversation, well, what stops the secretary of state from avoiding the selection of races that he or she knows will reveal problems if they're examined by hand? And uh, Philip Stark, the UC Berkeley professor who invented the protocol for risk-limiting audits, uh, he said in response on this uh, Twitter thread, uh, quote, an honest secretary of state is what keeps the system honest. Now, I love Philip. I consider him a friend who has been on this show a number of times. But on that point, he is wrong. As I tweeted in reply at the time, an honest Secretary of State has nothing to do with public election oversight. Our elections are not based on trust or honesty, as I wrote, but on public oversight, checks and balances. I guarantee, I said, that any secretary of state you believe to be honest will not be regarded as such by about half the population took a few months. But uh, for some reason, over the weekend, Dwight Shellman, who is the election manager for the state of Colorado, he jumped into the conversation to reply, I have been privileged to work under four secretaries of state from different points on the political spectrum, all of whom were and are exactingly honest. He said, but in my opinion, Brad is right. Evidence and transparency yield public confidence in elections and outcomes. Honesty and integrity no longer suffice. Well, thank you, Dwight. That is a point that I have been trying to make for years. We need systems that can be run by the worst, most dishonest election officials in the world because any problems can be overseen and caught by the public. That's why verifiable hand-marked paper ballots are needed. That's why human beings must count ballots, not computers which frequently get it wrong, either because they're misprogrammed or they're easily hacked and manipulated by insiders and outside hackers alike. But while I hope to take uh, some of your questions on our elections if I get time and how you plan to vote at 818-985-5735, voting is not enough. We, the people, need to be able to oversee the process as much as possible before, during, and after Election Day. And that is made much harder by our computer voting systems now. But there are still actions that you can take to help elections be as honest as possible, but you might need some help and direction and training for that. And I've got just the person to help you out there. Emily Levy is the founder and director of Scrutineers.org, a nonpartisan online community of people working to protect U.S. elections. She's been a leader in the election protection and integrity movement now uh, for many years, going back to at least 2004, being involved in projects including lawsuits and election investigations and training election monitors. As well, she's been a colleague of mine at various times, I'm proud to say. Uh, throughout the years, including uh, as a blogger at bradblog.com on occasion. Her newest project, Scrutineers, kicked off in January of this year and is something that I think you should know about, particularly if you would like to do more than just vote this year, but actually help protect our elections with much-needed public oversight. Emily Levy, uh, it has been a while, I think, but welcome back to the broadcast, Emily. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me again and for all the work you do to make our elections make sense to people and to make them as safe and accessible and transparent as possible. Well, you're very kind to say and right back at you. So let's start easy here. Uh, What exactly is Scrutineers.org, Emily Levy, and, and why did you find it necessary to create it this year? 
What it is is an online membership site for people who are interested in helping protect the elections. It's a place that people can learn about the issues starting from scratch, if that's their beginning place, or get more advanced help if they've been working on these issues for a while, um, and talk to each other, coordinate with each other to set up projects in their local communities, um, find the resources they need, ask questions of people who have been doing this work for a long time, all sorts of things like that. And the reason that, there were several reasons that I thought it was needed, mm-hmm. one of which is in all the years that you and I have been doing this work, there has never really been an organized place that people could go and learn the basics about how our election systems work, what the vulnerabilities are, what people can do about it, and how to actually do those things. So I really wanted to create that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to create a place that people could get up to speed on the issues, figure out what to do, and then take action. And let's run through some of those actions that you guys are taking. Uh, and I know uh, that the Scrutineers is involved in a number of different projects, helping uh, to train people to do a, a number of things. By the way, can anybody participate at Scrutineers.org? Yes, anybody can join. And like I said, it's a membership site, and we have a very steep entry barrier, which is a one-time membership fee of $1.99. Right. And, and you had mentioned to me that that's not to actually make money, but to basically keep out uh, the, the, the trolls and troublemakers, I guess. Is it wor- is it working, or, or are you being... Well. What's that? And bots as well. And bots. Right. Okay. Uh, is it working, by the way? Have your Zoom meetings been hacked yet? Our Zoom meetings have not been hacked yet, and we haven't had people being harassed on our site or anything. So, so far, it's working well at keeping out the people and bots that we want to keep out. I don't have any way of knowing if it's also keeping out the people that we would like to be joining. But um, the barrier is not so much the $1.99, it's the having to walk across the room to get the debit card. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, that is exhausting for me. Uh, all right, so, you, yeah. you, so well, let's uh, talk about one of the calls that you've got coming up this week, uh, which you're calling the uh, Poll Tapes Project. Tell me about that, because it's something that, you know, I've been trying to encourage uh, for many years. I'm glad to see that you at Scrutineers and other folks like uh, election integrity Twitter activist Jenny Cohn and Lulu Freistad of SmartElections.us and Dan Wolf of DemocracyCounts.org all seem to sort of be picking up this crucial task, uh, both separately and together in some instances, I believe. What is the Poll Tapes Project? So let's, before talking about what the project is, let's talk briefly about what poll tapes are. Mm-hmm. So poll tapes are, they look like cash register receipts, and they're printed out at the end of voting on election night um, mm-hmm. from, every, from every voting machine. And almost every type of voting machine has these. And the poll tapes say on them how many votes were, how many people voted on that machine, and for every race, how many votes each candidate got, and for the ballot propositions or questions or levies or whatever they're called in your state, Mm -hmm. how many yes votes and how many no votes were cast on that machine. So it it would be a touchscreen machine would have these, and uh, the scanners that scan paper ballots also produce poll tapes. And I should, I need to jump in here, uh, Emily, just to note that down here in L.A. County, we our scanners at the polling place don't actually tally 
uh, results, at least in theory. Now, they may print out tapes to show how many uh, ballots were scanned or so forth at the polling place, if they're scanned at all at the polling place. But not all of them necessarily show results uh, at the polling place. Most of them, however, around the country do do exactly that. Thank you. Thank you. So in most states, it's required that these cash register receipt poll tapes mm-hmm. um, be posted outside the polling place at the mm-hmm. end of election night mm-hmm. and for the public to see. And so what we're asking is for everyone who can possibly do this to go to at least one polling place, if not multiple polling places, and take photographs or video of the poll tapes, because that is the closest we have to knowing what the the collection is of voter intent of the people that voted in that polling place. Mm -hmm. And when there's manipulation of election systems, it generally happens after that point in the process. It's much more likely to happen at the central tabulator, Mm -hmm. where the votes from all the different polling places in a county are collected together. And so what we'll be looking at is whether the votes changed in any polling place from what's reported on the poll tapes to what's later reported by the county mm-hmm. after they, uh, when they report out the totals, which they usually do on a precinct level basis so that they're you can get an apples-to-apples comparison. And we have caught that over the years where we've seen uh, the poll tapes say one thing, say the results should be X, and then the, uh, the totals come out from the, uh, from the county later on, from the central tabulator, and they give completely different numbers to what we saw uh, at, the, at the precincts. And that is only because we happen to get a shot, a video, a photograph of those poll tapes. That uh, project, I think you're uh, having a meeting uh, this coming Friday that uh, even folks who are not members are able to attend. Am I correct about that? Yes, we decided this is so important and we want so many people to be involved in this that we are making this training and and another training that's coming up available even to people who aren't members and we're actually partnering for this training um, with a couple of really large coalitions with the democracy democracy initiative which has 45 million members Mm. and with vote with us which is a project of march on and the future coalition so these are two huge coalitions that are going to be announcing this training to their members. So we're expecting a really large turnout as a result of that. Nice. Um, It's a free training. It'll be about an hour long. And can I give the link for where people can sign up? Sure. Uh, Theoretically, they could go through scrutineers.org. Well, they will. Actually, there isn't a link to it on our homepage, but I guess I should put one there. Yes, you should. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> yes, I should. So I, I will do that. And also people can find it on Eventbrite if they search for scrutineers. And we'll put the direct, how about this, we'll put the direct link to that training in your show notes on Brad blog. Does mm-hmm. that work? Yep. I sure will do that uh, at eventbrite.com. And then you do a search for scrutineers. But we'll also try to get some direct links to it. Uh, let's uh, quickly fly through a few others, uh, Emily. You discussed uh, this, I think, in your in your own Scrutineers podcast that is now being carried by whowhatwhy.org. Uh, but tell me about the uh, candidate caution letter that one of your members, April Smith, who, by the way, is also a great citizen election integrity advocate, uh, that, that apparently she is heading up. Yes, and this is, it's interesting that she came up with this because, Brad, you and I did a project very much like this. I think it was back in 
2008, mm-hmm. maybe in 2006 and 2008, that we called Standing for Voters. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yes, I do. So the idea is that in many states, only candidates have the legal standing to be able to get a recount or, or mount other kinds of challenges to an election if it's necessary. And candidates generally don't prepare themselves to take on that role. Um, so mm-hmm. what we're doing now through April letter and similar to what you and I did years ago is campaign to inform candidates running for all different public offices all around the country, regardless of party scrutiny. This is a nonpartisan organization asking candidates to, to not to concede until all the votes are counted and to be prepared to challenge an election if necessary and educating them a little bit about some of the vulnerabilities of our riggable, hackable electronic voting system. Emily Levy, so let me let me do uh, let me do this because you're breaking up a little bit. So I'm going to take a quick break here and we will call you right back during the break very quickly and uh, continue on with uh, a few more of the items that I know that scrutineers.org is doing uh, and that you, yes, you listener, can uh, take advantage of and join in. And as I say, voting is not enough. We really need you to oversee our elections. Uh, I also want to ask Emily about whether uh, these, you know, Donald Trump has been talking about having his own supporters go out and oversee elections. We'll get her thoughts on that and more. And if I have time, I want to try to get to some of your calls at 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Don't go away. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have uh, dialed back Emily Levy of scrutineers.org. Hopefully, Emily, do we have you back? I'm here. All right. Ex- excellent. Yes, I can hear you. We'll, we'll see if your phone holds out a little bit better. Uh, very quickly now, let's run through a few more of these uh, things. You you also, uh, as I understand it, help to train poll workers. But isn't that the job of county election officials? Why is scrutineers training them to do so? Great question. So, yes, it absolutely is the job of county election officials. And their job is really, as they see it, to train poll workers to process the voters, to set up the machinery, to make things run smoothly, to know what to do when there are the kinds of problems that most people who aren't paying attention to election security think about. But what they don't train poll workers to do is is to be the eyes and ears of election protection within the voting place, to pay attention to things that could be an indication that um, that the machines are have been mm-hmm. manipulated or that the check-in computers have been manipulated in such a way that 
a lot of voters are being turned away and the lines are getting long or all sorts of problems like that that could really be indications of breaches in election security, that poll workers, are, because they're at the polling place from before the time it opens till after the time it closes, mm -hmm. they're in a really unique position to see some of the red flags that can happen. So we're going to be training them about what to look for in terms of that, mm -hmm. both so that they can help catch problems if they occur, and also so that they can help verify that things were running smoothly if there are false accusations of um, manipulation at the polls, which we see this year. Yes, we could. Uh, and this is something that's become controversial, uh, largely thanks to Donald Trump asking his supporters to go watch at polling places. But uh, public oversight by elections monitors is something that's really important. You help people uh, to do that as well. Now, some states require that you be uh, signed up, that you be official. Other yeah. states, uh, the public can oversee the elections uh, as long as they don't get in anyone's way. Uh, also, a lot of people are going to be needed this year just to help people get through these lines with chairs and water and pizza and everything. But um, how is what you are doing different from what so many people seem to be so freaked out about when, when Trump asks his supporters to do the same thing, Emily? Well, we're not asking people to show up as militia, you know, <laughs> militia members. We're not asking people to show up armed. In fact, we would be very much opposed to that. Uh -huh. And we are, we are asking people simply to observe and make sure that the laws are being followed. And so another thing that's different about what we're doing is that we're training people and providing, providing information from them, for them about what kinds of things are supposed to happen, the way that, what are the best practices so that they can tell if they're being followed. And one thing that I'm really excited about that we have done is um, because of so much mail-in voting this year, um, there is going to be a huge need for people in election offices to be um, authenticating the signatures on those ballot envelopes mm. that come in. Right. Sometimes, that, and so some, some election offices will be hiring staff, temporary staff specifically to do that signature verification. And that's a, pro a process that because it is um, somewhat subjective, it can be done in a biased way, which mm. is, and it's very important that that not happen. Um, and so what we did at Scrutineers is we hired a national expert in signature authentication to train our volunteers in how to, how to tell whether the signature authentication is being done fairly. Mm. So basically how to tell whether two signatures that don't look exactly alike are probably made by the same person or not, so that our volunteers can either apply for those temporary positions at their elections offices or at least they'll observe the signature authentication process and make sure that it's being done fairly. As well, I suspect that uh, there's supposed to be, uh, it depends which state you're in, but there's supposed to be contacts with the uh, the voters if there's questions about whether their signatures match and to give the voters the opportunity to come in and, uh, as they call it, cure the signature issue so they can come in and say, yes, that's my signature. It changed since I uh, signed up to vote 30 years ago and have broken my arm three times since or whatever it is. Uh, so people will also be needed to help out counties to make those calls and to contact voters and to get them back in uh, to confirm that, yes, in 
fact, that is their ballot. Uh, Emily, uh, finally, it's very difficult uh, after the polls close to watch tabulation at uh, county headquarters because it's almost entirely done by computers now. But observers have noticed many errors over the years, problems, including the rejection of mail-in ballots, as we were talking about, and um, as well as errors by the counting machines themselves and and during post-election so-called audits. Is that something that Scrutineers is also helping folks to learn how to do this year on election night and, and beyond when we really do need citizen oversight there? Yes. And so some of the things we're, we're helping people learn how to do involve actually going to the election office or the board of elections in your county and observing things, and that may require signing up in advance. And then there are other kinds of election protection things that you can actually do at home. And we're also training people for that. So we know a lot of people are nervous to go to a public office this year because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there are still opportunities to help. There are things that, you know, like the photographing poll tapes really is going to only take a few minutes on election night. Mm-hmm. Yet it's a hugely important thing to have happen. And then there are other things that might take a lot of your time for, for several days or even weeks after the election. So there's quite a wide variety of things to choose from. Everybody can do something and I hope that everybody will. Um, one thing that I think is really key here is there are hundreds of thousands, at least, of people around the country who have been very busily working, campaigning for, for um, candidates for different offices that they support mm-hmm. and working to get out the vote. And both those kinds of work really end on election night. And that's when a lot of the activities that we're training people to do begin. So we're really hoping to see a huge influx of those dedicated people who want to make sure that everyone gets to vote, turn that dedication to making sure all those votes they worked so hard to get actually get counted accurately. Well done. Thank you, Emily, for that and for all the work that you do uh, for so many years. And right now at scrutineers.org, you can find them on the Twitters at scrutineersus. You can find em- you can find Emily herself on the Twitters at Emily underscore Levy. Uh, she is the creator of Scrutineers, and uh, also you can check out her podcast wherever you download them uh, via Who What Why's uh, podcast at whowhatwhy.org. Emily Levy, founder and director of Scrutineers.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Stay safe out there and keep up the good work and stay in touch. Thank you for all you do, Brad. You bet. Thank you, Thank Emily. You. All right. Uh, do we have time? And I'm sorry we, we got thrown off because we had a caller back there. Let me see if I have time for a very quick call or two. Uh, Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Do you have a plan for voting this year, sir? Oh, Mike, where am I? There we go. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Hello, Squirrel Fellow. I just uh, <laughs> got my ballot on the 7th, dropped it in the box in front of the public library on the 8th. And five days later, it showed up on the registrar's site as having been checked into the ballot fold. Nice. So I'm happy this year. Nice. Well done. And a lot of people, did you sign up for that ballot tracking thing, or do you just went and checked to see if it was there? No, I I signed up for it, and I got the voicemail call about a day after uh, mm-hmm. they checked it in. 
Yeah, in uh, California, if you go to, uh, well, in L.A. County here, you go to lavote.net, but otherwise you can go to the California Secretary of State's website and sign up uh, for that ballot tracking system, and they will call you with by voice, they will text you, they will send you an email, your choice to tell you when uh, and if your ballot uh, actually arrives and gets counted. How it gets counted, if it gets counted correctly, that's a separate issue, but at least you can know it uh, it got in there. Hey, thanks, Mike. I I appreciate your call. I appreciate your voting. And we have time for one more. Let me go to, uh, where am I here? Uh, let me hit uh, Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Mo, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Uh, how you doing, man? Listen, on Election Day, I'm taking my mail-in ballots. I'm going to drop them off at the place uh, when people are about, uh, voting, right? Because I got a bad left knee from the tennis day, so I can't stand up too long. I'm going to fill it out, me and the wife, and we're going to do, I'm just going to drop him off that day. And remember that governor from Alabama, the time he won? And the man that he went to sleep? The, but, uh, wait, hang on. Wait, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. I, I lost. Mo, hang on a second. I lost track of what you said there. I, that you're going to drop it off on Election Day at your polling place. That is good. Not everyone across the country can do that. But here in California, you are allowed to drop them off at the polling it. place, wherever anybody's voting. Yeah. And what was the second part very quickly about Alabama? Uh, remember the governor, the guy that ran for governor in Alabama and thought he won and went to bed that night, thought he was elected governor. The oh, yeah. next morning he found out he lost. Yeah, Don Siegelman. And it was all because of how those votes are counted when they were counted in secret in the state uh, overnight. And that's why we need people watching. Thanks for that reminder, Mo. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Federico Garcia, and to to my guest, of course, Emily Levy of Scrutineers.org. If you like, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog. I will see you there until I see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.